Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. A community rally is underway at this hour aimed at ousting a repeat sex offender. It recently came to light that James Conway, Conway is now living in Chilliwack after being forced to move from two other halfway houses due to public outcry. Our John Hua is in Chilliwack tonight where now another community is unhappy with Conway's presence and we can hear them there behind you, John. Yeah, that's right, Sophie. Uh, You can see the crowds, the signs, the chanting. This is all becoming too familiar for James Conway, first in Abbotsford, then Mission, now here in Chilliwack. But the residents here say this is just as much a message for James Conway as it is for BC Corrections to get it right. Another city, the exact same response. Chilliwack residents say it's a clear sign. BC Corrections has failed once again to properly house convicted sex offender James Conway. It takes the safety away from your home. When Conway was relocated to Chilliwack last July, many believed he was in a remote, rural location. That's until Kelly Wood discovered he's only two houses away. You obviously think it's somewhere far away, but then you find out it's next to you and you just can't feel anything but violated. The property where residents believe Conway is being housed is only five minutes from a school, with plenty of new development popping up in between. Get it together. Get him, put him somewhere else. We don't want him here. And you should not put him near school or anywhere near kids are. Now, BC Corrections would not confirm that James Conway is living in this residence, but writes in a statement, since his relocation to the Chilliwack area a year ago, he continues to be under intense supervision and continues to comply with everything the courts have laid out. Conway's presence has sparked plenty of protests in the past. First in Abbotsford, where police had to set up cameras for the sex offender's safety. Then in Mission, where Conway was forced to leave after a global news investigation found his living arrangement was a conflict of interest. WJS Canada, the company contracted to house Conway, rented a newly purchased home owned by one of its own managers. Strike three, you're out. Put him back in prison. Period. End of story. The mayor of Chilliwack writes, pedophiles should not be housed in any area where children are present, and I ask that he be removed from the area. Ready, set, go. Kelly Wood says her kids are already paying the price. People don't want their kids coming over to play at my son's house. He's like, it's not fair. And that broke my heart. The cost, she says, of BC Corrections placing a sexual predator too close to home. All right, John, we saw the mayor of Chilliwack's statement there, but can the city of Chilliwack really do anything here? Yeah, first off, Sophie, the mayor of Chilliwack did say she does stand behind these residents here behind me who are obviously very passionate about the issue. But previously, cities like Abbotsford and Mission have actually explored a legal option going for violations against their zoning bylaws, and the city of Chilliwack says it's going to explore that option as well. Back to you. All right, we'll see how it plays out. John, thanks for that. 
A mother and eight-year-old child have been killed in an early morning apartment fire in North Vancouver, and as many as a dozen others have been injured. Tanya Beja is at the scene for us tonight. Tanya, I understand that family was celebrating just hours before this tragedy. That's right, Sophie. They were together celebrating a family birthday. They returned home here to sleep when tragedy struck. Loved ones arrive at the Lynn Valley housing complex where a mother and young son lost their lives. Uh, her husband and her oldest son, they jump out of the fire. But the youngest son, they didn't, he didn't jump out because he is scared and the mom stayed with him. 50-year-old Nargis Kassanjad and her son Sepper were killed when flames tore through the 17-unit building. A big bomb. It was loud. It was super loud and it, like, the windows shook. Completely engulfed in flames. Fire and smoke and, and it was very shocking. The fire began around 2.30 Monday morning. Fire crews arrived within minutes. Neighbours in the tight-knit community were already ushering survivors to safety. We just running around the door and just knocked the door. One of the caretakers here, he actually helped pull a woman out of a window at the back of the building there. We had a couple casualties we had to pull out. Uh, the two, uh, the man and woman who jumped out of the building from the second story. So they, uh, they think they both broke their backs and their ankles. Four units were gutted, another five suffered extensive smoke and water damage. Uh, upwards of 70 people in the building that were displaced. Uh, that being said, uh, approximately 10 have been sent to various hospitals in the lower mainland with uh, varying degrees of burns, smoke inhalation. RCMP, the coroner service and the District of North Vancouver Fire and Rescue are all investigating. The cause of the blaze is still unclear. Fire crews say even accessing the building is a challenge. So this building uh, here contains roughly about 30 units. So about half of those are affected directly by the fire and the rest are smoke damage. They did a fantastic job of getting this knocked down as quickly as they did and minimizing the damage that was here. This could have got so much worse. The province's emergency management services will be offering accommodation and support for people who were displaced from this building, but that only lasts over the next 72 hours. Uh, they're also hosting a meeting on Wednesday at the Karen Magnuson Centre from 6 to 8 p.m. to talk about how they can help with some of those longer-term needs. Sophie, back to you. All right, Tanya Beja for us in North Vancouver. An emotional first day at the long-awaited inquest into the death of Lisa Dudley. Dudley and her boyfriend Guthrie McKay were shot a decade ago in a dispute over a marijuana grow-up in their home. Today, a neighbor who called 911 spoke about what he regrets the most. And Grace Key explains why a newly released audio tape of the officers who responded is raising eyebrows. Six gunshots in a row and a crash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't you love this? Yeah, I'll uh, head up. It's not the reaction the public wants to hear. Former Mission RCMP officer Michael White laughs when getting a shots fired call back in September 18, 2008. Four days later in their home, Guthrie McKay was found dead and girlfriend Lisa Dudley was clinging to life but died on the way to hospital. Her stepfather says the audio is uncomfortable to listen to. I cringed a bit, of course, because it, it, it bespeaks of uh, the inner character, I would suspect. 
A coroner's inquest has begun into Lisa's death. White was the responding officer and acting watch commander. Corporal Samantha Audley also attended. Both testified neither got out of their vehicles to investigate the area and neither spoke with the neighbor who made the initial call to dispatch. SMP? Yep, Erwin uh, Adam, I'm calling from... And we heard what sounded like six gunshots. Neighbor Irwin Adam had an idea of where the shots came from, but that and other information wasn't relayed to Officer White. Irwin feels he could have done more that night. You know, I made the call, but I didn't follow up. The officer showed up, but didn't follow up. Four men were convicted in the couple's killings. The shooting involved a dispute over a marijuana grow operation. Officer White was docked one day's pay and received a letter of reprimand. He later became a supervisor and is now with major crimes in Coquitlam. Grace Key, Global News. New details tonight about a fatal crash that claimed the life of a much-loved lacrosse player. Olivia Malcolm died after being struck while stopped on Highway 17A in Delta. Ramina Dea now on how her family is trying to move forward and honor her legacy, as well as what police are saying about charges they expect to recommend. Uh-oh. Olivia Malcolm was just getting started. <laughs> she would have turned 20 on Sunday, the same day as her memorial service. We still think that maybe there's just that glimpse of hope that this is a, this horrible nightmare is just a nightmare and that we're going to wake up and our beautiful daughter is going to walk through that door with her eye and her beautiful smile. Olivia's boyfriend pulled over on Highway 17A near Ladner Trunk Road on June 2nd so she and her friend could grab something from the trunk. They were on their way home when they were struck by a Jeep. Olivia was killed instantly. Dees Island RCMP are now looking at recommending charges of impaired driving causing death. Police say ICBC has suspended the driver's license for three years. I promise to make you proud. I love you so much, Liv. More than 2,000 people gathered at New Westminster's Queen's Park Arena for the memorial service. Olivia's parents moved by the turnout, which included their extended families, firefighters, and the lacrosse community. Olivia present every step of the way. I could feel Olivia's hand on my back supporting me, and that's where I got the strength from. It's that strength guiding Olivia's family to change lives in her memory. Grateful for every dollar donated, more than 100000 to help fund the post-secondary dreams of deserving students. Olivia's dream? To become a teacher. There was 953 people as of this morning who, made, who have made this a reality that my daughter will be honored. Romina Dea, Global News. A rather large visitor dropped in at Rocky Point Park in Port Moody late yesterday afternoon, sending people scrambling. And our Aaron MacArthur is back there for us tonight. Aaron, it was a pretty large black bear that showed up. Yeah, Sophie, I think any time a bear shows up, you'd think it would be pretty large. But 4 o'clock yesterday afternoon here in Rocky Point Park, bear shows up when there was a lot of people here. Sunday afternoon's incredibly busy. Somebody caught it all on iPhone, of course. The reactions from people are quite interesting. Most people just turned and ran. You can hear people laughing on tape, not taking it all too seriously. There's a few people laying down, sort of taking it all in stride. And then only at the end of the tape do you hear somebody say... Hey, don't run, don't run, stay still, stay calm. 
That is, of course, the right advice in BC Conservation saying everybody pretty much got it wrong yesterday. My initial reaction was there's a bit of misinformation about what people should actually be doing when they see a bear. Um, that video, while it's really good fitted footage, it's the exact thing you don't want to do when you see a bear. Um, most people in that video ran, when in reality, I know it's a bit counterintuitive, but you want to back away slowly, make yourself appear large, and just speak oh, to the bear in calm, bear. firm statements like, hey bear, whoa bear, that type of thing. Now, nobody was hurt, the bear or people. And people are, are you know, questioning how a bear was in Rocky Point Park, but it's a pretty easy jaunt for a bear from here up into the hills. And a reminder to everybody in the Tri-Cities, especially there are bears around, be safe. There Sophie. certainly are. All right, thanks for that, Aaron. NDP MLA Leonard Krogh is contemplating leaving provincial politics to make a run for mayor of Nanaimo. Keith Baldry joins us with more on the implications that this might have. And Keith, it might move the balance of power potentially down the road. Yes, it has uh, enormous uh, implications potentially on who will replace Leonard Croak in the B.C. legislature as he prepares for his run in the mayoralty. The longtime MLA dropping broad hints for weeks now, certainly the last couple of days, expect to make his big announcement on Wednesday. So it's given uh, rise to speculation this could somehow cause an early election. Uh, well, here are some points to consider. First of all, Nanaimo is considered to be a very strong NDP riding. In fact, the party has won 11 of the 12, uh, last 12 elections in that uh, riding. Uh, including Crow's latest win by uh, 3,800 votes over the Liberals. So the Liberals uh, have an uphill battle to claim that seat. Now, if they do win, uh, what happens in the legislature? It's a tie, 43 seats each between the BC Liberals and the NDP and the BC Greens. What happens then? Well, the Speaker, in an unusual event, would have to break the tie, be cast the tie-breaking vote. And by convention, the Speaker always sides with the government because it's the Speaker's responsibility to keep the legislature working. How long it could work under that scenario uh, is an open question. We caught up to Leonard Croke just outside his uh, legislature office in Nanaimo today. Again, not confirming anything, but telling uh, us that the voters of Nanaimo want a change in the mayor's office. Here's Leonard Croke. Uh, look, uh, everybody who's followed Nanaimo politics in the last three, four years, three and a half years, uh, knows what's wrong. Uh, the city has gone off the rails in many respects. And there's a huge public appetite for change. So it sounds like he's running. The official announcement comes Wednesday night. Then a by-election will be held at the moment he gives up his seat. John Horgan has six months to fill that vacancy when it actually becomes vacant. Sophie? Always something interesting in B.C. politics. Keith, thank you. you. Right now, though, if you've traveled through B.C., you most likely have made a pit stop at the Merritt Visitor Centre. That rest stop officially closed its doors in the winter. But as the summer travel season picks up... Many are now taking notice. As Ted Trenecki reports, the province is defending the closure. It's closed. Yeah, just go straight. When you go back out there, turn left and go right into town. And the mayor of Merritt spends a lot of time redirecting traffic and taking phone calls from motorists who hadn't heard the news. As the peak tourist season ramps up, many are learning for the first time that the visitor center at the junction of Highway 5 and 97C is closed. And they and their bladders aren't happy about it. We get those calls on a regular basis, people asking us why we shut it down. First of all, we didn't shut it down. We did everything to try and keep it open. My wife and I always stepped up here. I'm really disappointed because it's like a midway stop-off for us and lots of other people. 
It's actually been closed since January, with a reason given that upgrades needed to be done that were too expensive for a facility that doesn't really fit Destination BC's mandate, and that is to lure visitors into Merritt. I think I'm just going to press straight on to uh, hope. But uh, I'm very sorry that this has disappeared. A new $4.2 million rest stop has opened at Loon Lake, 40 kilometers east of Merritt, off the Okanagan Connector. It's one of eight rest areas designated to get free Wi-Fi this year, but it's a rest area too far removed from Merritt. It's way off the road. It's inconvenient. It's on the wrong side for people going through. Not a good exit like we have here. Uh, If they'd have spent that money here, these people would be happy and and it would be a, a very thriving information booth. In a statement, Destinations BC says motorists had been using the visitor centre less and less, preferring to go online for information. The site had become predominantly a washroom stop. And going into Merritt, motorists are more likely to see more of the city and spend time and money there. As for the existing building, an $80,000 contract has been awarded to study its future use. Ted Schnecke, Global News. Well, finding a place to rent in this province is a challenge, and now it appears it's become even more difficult in some areas. Our Consumer Matters reporter, Andrea, joins us with a warning about a rental scam to watch out for. Mm, This one very sophisticated. Thanks, Sophie. On Vancouver Island, there's one monthly rental off the market after the landlord and potential tenants fell victim to a rental scam. The scam isn't new, but given the tight rental market, the Better Business Bureau says it's becoming more frequent. And then I thought, well, what a great idea to put a rental suite above and get some income going on the property. This rental scam nightmare started when Kara Pragnow advertised a fully furnished one-bedroom suite on Kijiji. But shortly after she posted it, Kara says the same ad showed up on Craigslist. Some were just excited tenants that were answering my ad, the legitimate ad that I had posted myself, but others were from people who were really confused. Confused because unbeknownst to Kara, someone had stolen her ad. A scam artist offering the suite for less than half the price. The same suite with the same photographs and the same write-up for $500 a month as a listed rental price. And then they were seeing my ad, which was the real ad, for $1,200. Kara tried to prohibit the ad on Craigslist repeatedly, but says the fraudster would keep posting the ad again and again. They would keep the photographs and keep a bit of the wordage and change some of that and then have new names and new contact information. What's worse, Kara says she was getting aggressive calls accusing her of fraud. I got told off quite a few times because they said that I was just a fake and a fraud. And it didn't stop there. Potential tenants arrived at her property with their personal belongings expecting to move in. Turns out some of them had paid the scammer damage deposits and the first month's rent. Nobody hurt me, but they certainly suggested that they might if I didn't let them into their home. (laughs) In total, about 200 people showed up at Kara's place. Kara says she felt unsafe and temporarily left her own property. She contacted police but says RCMP told her it would be difficult to track those behind the scam. We need to be advocates for ourselves as as landlords. The Better Business Bureau says while the rental scam isn't new, it's becoming increasingly sophisticated, especially given the tight rental market. It just comes down to consumers being more savvy and more aware uh, that, that you're emailing a stranger money. After a month, Kara says the situation finally subsided. She's since taken her monthly rental off the market and changed it to a vacation rental where she says she feels more secure.
This type of fraud is difficult, but when it comes to a rental of any kind, make sure you are meeting the landlord in person. Make sure you see the rental first before signing the lease and check rental rates in the area. If the rental price sounds too good to be true, it usually is. And if you, if you have a consumer issue for me, you can reach me. There's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Good advice. Thank you, Anne. Vancouver Fire and Rescue are welcoming a new member of their team today. Meet Lola. Oh, she is joining the force as a trauma dog. Her job is to provide comfort to staff dealing with mental injury or illness. Vancouver Fire Rescue says recent studies showing that almost half of emergency personnel show signs of mental disorders has pushed them to act. You know, we have some halls where, where guys can go to work and they can, they can be doing 20, 30, sometimes more um, calls within a shift, within a 10-hour shift. So the stress levels are changing. We are seeing a difference within our department uh, because of the call types and the call volume. Um, and if Lola can, like I said before, if Lola can just kind of help one firefighter, then she's, she's done her job. Today, Lola was presented with her official patch, making her a part of the force. Breaking news and history in the making. Two world leaders who were once at odds sitting down with each other tonight. Kicking it off with a handshake just moments ago, President Donald Trump and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un coming face-to-face in Singapore. After much anticipation, the meeting is getting underway now. The two will go behind closed doors with just their interpreters for about 45 minutes. Then others will be brought in to hammer out the details. And while the meeting may be underway, it remains to be seen whether the two leaders will be able to reach any sort of diplomatic breakthrough. Global's Jackson Prosco looks at what's at stake. The White House says that advanced talks with the North Korean delegation have gone so well that they're actually cutting the president's trip short and Donald Trump will be on his way back home tomorrow night. Late last night in Singapore, Kim Jong-un actually stepped out on the town and played tourist for a while, taking in the sights and even taking selfies, while Donald Trump spent the morning meeting with Singapore's prime minister, who has really worked to help bring the two sides together here. Now, neither side will tip their hand as to how much progress they're expecting to make, but U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo suggested America's goals for the meeting have not changed. The complete, verifiable, and irreversible denuclearization of the Korea Peninsula is the only outcome that the United States will accept. So here's how the summit will play out. The two men will meet at 9 a.m. local time in Singapore for a photo op, a handshake, and then they'll sit down privately for about 45 minutes with just their translators in the room. That's going to be followed by expanded meetings with officials from both sides and later a working lunch. All told, this is going to last just a few short hours. Either way, though, it's going to make history. Jackson Prosco, Global News, Washington. Video of Montreal police pepper spraying a man in his car over the weekend has gone viral. The driver accuses the officers of being racist and questions why he was sprayed for honking his horn. As Global's Amanda Jellowicki reports, an investigation has now been launched to determine whether the officers' actions were justified. A bystander shot the video late Saturday night. It happened on a crowded, noisy St. Catherine Street during Formula One celebrations. It begins with police talking to a black man seated in his car. Suddenly, they pelt him with pepper spray. Police pull the man from his car, 
where he's heard screaming in French just for honking. He adds, you are racist. In this case, it looked like the person refused to identify himself, tried to flee the scene. That's the reason why it was pepper sprayed. And we'll try to find out whether or not it was appropriate. Police launched an investigation into the incident. They claim the driver tried driving away and hit a police bicycle. They say he wouldn't stop honking, which is an offense. The video was posted to Facebook, and it's been viewed hundreds of thousands of times. People are slamming the police actions, asking if race played a factor. Sometimes the pepper use, pepper spray, could be not justifiable and therefore could become abusive. Basically, we call it too trigger happy with the pepper spray, and therefore I think it merits a very thorough investigation. Police say it could take weeks or even months to finish their investigation into the incident, and they say what's critical to it is finding out what happened before the video was shot. Amanda Delawicki, Global News, Montreal. Well, if you were looking for your Starbucks fix this afternoon, you were out of luck. The coffee chain closing its doors across the country for sensitivity training. All 1,100 locations across the country were closed for a few hours at 3 p.m. local time for a learning session on race, bias and inclusion. This comes after two young black men were arrested at a Philadelphia location. Starbucks says the training is meant to teach employees to help create more inclusive stores. The U.S. coffee giant closed for a similar orientation last month. In Health Matters tonight, we're getting a clearer picture of the state of men's health in this country. And it's not pretty. A new study shows a startling 72% of men are considered unhealthy. British Columbia fared a little better and had the healthiest rates in the country. But as Linda Ellsworth reports, it's nothing to brag about. How healthy are men in this country? To find out, the Canadian Men's Health Foundation did a survey asking 2,000 guys about their lifestyles. Well, we found that 72% of the uh, Canadian men are what we would consider unhealthy. The findings were based on the number of unhealthy behaviours participants engaged in. Like smoking, 20% said they did. Drinking alcohol, 40% consumed more than three drinks a day. Unhealthy eating is at 62%. You know, unhealthy sleeping, 50-something, inactivity, 59%. Those are pretty big numbers. The breakdown, nearly 6% are very healthy, 22% healthy, 31% borderline, and 42% unhealthy because they partake in three to five of the unhealthy behaviors. But if 72% is the national average, where does BC stand? 67% the healthiest province. We have the lowest rates for cigarette smoking. We have the second best rates for physical activity. We have the best rates for eating. So we've got some really good stats out of BC. Good in comparison, perhaps. But men can certainly do better, like get seven to eight hours of sleep a night. When you uh, sleep for less than seven hours, you put yourself at risk for things like type 2 diabetes, heart disease. The same is true if you get over nine hours of sleep. Then there's exercise. 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous exercise a week is recommended. Eating? Five to seven, you know, fist-sized servings of vegetables and fruit every day. The website don'tchangemuch.ca can tell you more about where you stand and what you need to do to be healthier. Not a bad idea, even if BC is number one. You know, is it something to be proud of? I guess if you're the best of the worst, be proud of it, but still know you can do better. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Yay. 
It's pretty cute. All right, Christy Gordon joins us now with a look at that forecast. A few clouds out there, but otherwise lovely. Yeah, it's turned out to be a beautiful day. I would say it's on the cool side, though, Sophie, and some people still calling it January. And the reason for it, snow over higher elevations. This is a big mountain, big white ski resort this morning. Snow there. Silver Star over 40 centimeters of snow. Even some higher elevation areas, Lac Lejeune, and as well, uh, one other one, Logan Lake, uh, saw some snow early on uh, Sunday morning, but we saw it again uh, this morning as well. The reason? Well, let me show you. We've got this really strong pool of cold air. That has now shifted off into the prairies now. So will we see snow again tonight? Not to worry. No, you will not. The freezing level has climbed a little bit, and we will continue to into tomorrow. That pool of cold air shifting east. However, on Wednesday, another pool starts to shift into our area. So a brief warm-up, and then things cool down at higher elevations once again. Will you see any snow? Well, I guess there's a slight chance, but this pool of cool air is not nearly as strong as the one we saw over the weekend, so I'm really not expecting it. But there is a chance that I guess some higher elevations could see that. And yes, that cool air will shift into the south coast regions as well. So here's a look at things. This is what we're dealing with this evening. Can you see some pockets across the southern areas? A number of thunderstorms rolling in through the Kootenai region right now. That will continue into the evening hours, but ease off overnight until this next system rolls in. So by tomorrow afternoon, those of you on the central coast and northern parts of Vancouver Island, even touching into the Sunshine Coast, will see showers tomorrow. For the lower mainland, areas like Victoria, not until late tomorrow evening does that rain push in. So tomorrow night and Wednesday, yes, you can expect to get to get wet. And as I showed you earlier, it's also going to be cool. But your weekend's looking pretty nice, everyone. Here's a look at tomorrow, though. Showers from Prince Rupert south mainly. Further inland, dry, sunny, warm. Increasing cloud in the afternoon hours for a lot of these areas, but a dry one on the way for you. You're not expecting the thunderstorms like you saw today. Increasing cloud here. The best chance of that rain will be across Vancouver Island. Shifting further east and south as we head into the latter part of the day. So tomorrow night through Wednesday, yes, we're going to get wet. But as I mentioned, that's what you have to look for to. And I've got to show you this beautiful weather window from Melanie in Vancouver. This is the Arbutus Corridor and the flowers are coming out with the color of the uh, walls there. Thank you, Melanie. Beautiful shot. And a reminder to cast your vote in the BCAA Play Here contest. There are communities who need your vote now. A new play space could literally transform the lives of families and children in the area Contest closes June 17th. Go to globalnews.ca slash bc slash contest for your chance to vote. All right. And that was a lovely photo. Thank you very much, Christy. Back to that baseball game now with the state championship on the line. After striking out his childhood friend, the pitcher does something you probably wouldn't expect. Well, with lots of time to celebrate, the high school pitcher instead decides to console his buddy first, the guy he just struck out. The uh, pair sharing a hug and the touching moment was caught on video, as you can see. Eventually, the pair split off, though, and the celebration for the winning team continued. That's nice. I like all the other guys are just going nuts. They, they're totally on their yeah. own. Yeah. They're having their little moment down front. <laughs> I, I always feel badly for the losing team. I do too. Right? I, you often find me, even with my son's yeah. games, I cheer for the other teams right. sometimes. I'm a sucker for that. All right. Uh, there's only three of us here today because Chris was hitting the links today for a very good cause. <laughs> that is not going to win. <laughs> Off in the woods.
I didn't mean to laugh, but I couldn't help it. Oh, he's got great form. The Harry Very good Rosen, at driving the cart, mind you. The Harry, he likes cars, right? The Harry Rosen Tournament for Life was held at the Point Grey Golf Course today. The tournament uh, raises money for the Vancouver Prostate Center, as well as VGH and the UBC Hospital Foundation. The event has raised more than $4 million for prostate research over the past 21 years. All right. Playoffs are over, so let's talk about hockey. Sure, that's a good idea. <laughs> now that I'm done talking about hockey, I'll talk about hockey. Uh, all of the first 10 players selected in the 2016 NHL draft have played at least one game in the NHL, except for the guy Vancouver drafted. Defenseman Ole Olevi has yet to play in the NHL for the Canucks, and now he has a lower back issue that requires surgery. It's a minor operation, but it adds to the frustration a number of fans have with the Canucks choosing him in the first place. A lot of Vancouver faithful were hoping the Canucks would take Matthew Kachuk instead. So the reaction for Yolevi's announcement wasn't quite what you'd expect for a first-rounder. With the fifth selection, Vancouver select from the London Knights, Ole Yolevi. Okay, it's not Yolevi's fault the Canucks took him fifth overall, but he does have to take some of the blame that he hasn't got his game to an NHL level yet when some other defensemen who were taken that same year in the first round, like Boston's Charlie McAvoy and Tampa's Mikhail Sergachev, have become very solid NHLers with big upside. Pulled it and hits to the front of the net, Yulevi scores! And while a lot of fans still worry that Yulevi's slow development is the potential sign of a bad draft pick, the Canucks have always been very steadfast that there's a lot of potential in him. Ole Yulevi is one of those defensemen that he plays with his head up and he can get back and get the puck. He has his head up and he can transition it up ice fast. The Canucks say the operation is minor. It should take 10 weeks before Yolevi is up skating again, which means he should be on skates a few weeks before training camp begins in September. Okay, very early on Wednesday morning, Canada and the world will find out who will get World Cup 2026. Of course, we are part of a bid with the USA and Mexico facing off against Morocco. 104 countries need to say yes for your bid to win the vote. The North American bid is the slight favorite right now, but apparently France has already said it'll vote for Morocco and they might lobby other nations in Europe to do the same. As for this year's World Cup, it starts Thursday. Russia and Saudi Arabia will be game one. They both play in Group A. And for a preview of Group A, let's bring in Chanel. The host received a favorable draw as Russia was able to avoid any of the elite nations. Now with Uruguay ranked the highest at number 17 and Egypt potentially missing its star, the Russians look poised to advance with the South Americans into the knockout stage. As a host nation, Russia's qualification was automatic, but the last two tournaments haven't been good as Russia has failed to get out of the group stage at both the Confederations Cup and Euro 2016. Now a strong showing depends on the younger players stepping up for the first time on a global stage. Having home pitch advantage will help as only one host nation has failed to make it out of group play. Saudi Arabia was impressive during qualification but have changed managers twice since. Now most of the players are virtual unknowns at the world level. Now the only way they can challenge solid defense and luck Saudi has not won a game at the finals since 1994 
They are the favorites to finish at the bottom of Group A. It's been 28 years since Egypt last made it to the final. The Egyptians rely on a very well-organized defense, but the big question is, will Liverpool striker Mohamed Salah be able to play? He was hurt in the Champions League final. His status is still up in the air. Salah scored five of eight goals for Egypt during qualifying and 33 overall. Without him, Egypt likely doesn't advance. Uruguay was stellar during the qualifying campaign, finishing second to Brazil and scoring the second most goals with 32. They should finish atop Group A as the attack includes Edison Cavani and Luis Suarez. The dynamic duo have 89 international goals between them. Finishing first likely means a date versus Portugal or Spain in the round of 16. All right, that's Cristiano Ronaldo arriving at the airport to fly to Russia for the World Cup. Before he gets inside, a young fan breaks through security to get his jersey signed. Ronaldo has no problem with it. Not only does he sign the shirt, the boy gets a big pre-World Cup hug. Oh, that's Yes, and let's check out how it looks. Show us your signage. There you go, right there. Good for him. <laughs> you know who's on that plane? Justified. Triple Crown winner. He is a total baller now. Is he in he's first class? He's got his class? own jet. Or is his own? Oh, yeah, he's in fir- you know, first class, all the hay you can eat. It's like never ending. Started today, though. He's uh, back in Kentucky. He'll then go to California. We're still not sure yet if he's going to race again. He likely will race a couple of races, and then eventually he'll be retired to stud, where he will do his other job. Uh, Blue Jays, Vladimir Guerrero hurt in the minors. He's their best prospect. He's at the game between the Jays and Tampa Bay in the worst stadium in baseball. That's Teoscar Hernandez hitting a two-run homer. This is John Axford messing things up for the Jays. Just throw it home. Ow. One run scores, two runs will score, and the Blue Jays lose to the Rays. 8-4 down in Tampa. There you go. All right. Coming up on ET Canada, which Hollywood star got busted for a DUI over the weekend. Plus, why royal watchers are blasting the Duchess of Sussex for breaking the royal rules. And we're in Hawaii with the cast of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. All of that's coming up at 7, right after the news hour. But for now, it's back to you, Sophie. All right. Thanks very much, Cheryl. Well, actor Robert De Niro was turning soil and turning heads in Toronto today, unleashing a verbal assault on U.S. President Donald Trump while offering Canadians an apology. Tom Hayes has the story. If you find yourself in a fight, always good if someone has your back. And I just want to make a note of apology for the idiotic behavior of my president. Robert De Niro in Toronto today turning soil on a new downtown development just 14 hours removed from the Tony Awards in New York City. I'm going to say one thing. Trump. De Niro's outburst fueled by the closing of the G7 summit. Prime Minister Trudeau calling Trump's tariffs insulting. Trump in a tweet calling the PM meek and weak. You won't hear any F-bombs from me. Mayor John Tory shared the stage with De Niro today. He may share something else. Well, I have a list of people who are being given the key to the city, and he certainly deserves uh, earnest consideration. De Niro isn't the only American watching this historic relationship unravel. So were tourists in Toronto today. America and Canada transcends the uh, temporary politics. It's a great relationship. My wife and I went to school in Minnesota. I had a lot of Canadian friends there. The Twitterverse also got involved. Hashtag ThanksCanada was trending. This American saying... 
Thanks for being a great neighbor. Others wondering if we're starting to lose a great neighbor, a great friend. We feel like we're losing one of our best friends. You're losing Trump. Let's, the sooner he's out of office, the better for all of us. He's an idiot. We close with this American tweet that says, we don't deserve a friend like you. And below, maybe a suggestion on how to get things back on track. Maybe we need to hug it out. Oh, why not? This is, this is what we need. This is what we need. Tom Hayes, Global News. That's the best monkey. <laughs> it's like Come those on, two pictures. Oh, yeah. Yeah, hugging it out. That's real friendship. (laughs) All right, final word on the weather, Christy Gordon. Sure. So tomorrow certainly will be cloudier than today. 18, not bad. Uh, But Wednesday, cool, rainy, but the weekend is looking nice. Hopefully that continues to be the case as we get closer. You work on it for us. I will. I sure will. That's it for us. Have a good evening.